Hello, and welcome to the Bookish Banter Podcast, where we'll be sharing our opinions about our favorite books, authors, and bookish impulse buys. Follow along on our journey to finishing and sharing our endless TBR. Go ahead and subscribe, leave us a review, and follow us on our Instagram and TikTok at the Bookish Banter Podcast. Let's get started. I think it's fair to say you guys know I love coffee. I cannot get through the day without it, and somehow I've become the person who exclusively drinks Fable Grounds coffee. Every time I go on vacation, I think I should seriously bring some with me because nothing tastes like it. It's roasted in small batches in Maryland, and it's every book lover's dream. Fable Grounds has fandoms like Lord of the Rings, Six of Crows, and even some of our favorite Greek gods. The bag sizes range from two ounces all the way up to 12, so you can try a few different flavors before you find your perfect one. She also has gorgeous stoneware mugs that I use quite literally every single day. There is nothing like drinking coffee out of a stoneware mug. It is an experience, I'll say that. So check out Fable Grounds Coffee and use my code LLAMA10 to save on your next purchase. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good, I'm very excited. I have a special guest on today. If you wanna go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, hi, I'm Sierra Spencer. I have written three romance novels, three contemporary romance novels. And today, actually, as we're recording, is my release day for my most recent one, Eastern Standard, which is a small town romance. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that throughout the podcast. (laughs) um, My other two books are also contemporary romances. And one is a hockey romance that I wrote with one of my friends, Mina Miles. And my debut romance novel came out last January, which is Developing Feelings. And that is a academic, um, workplace romance. Oh my gosh. I love it. Hitting all the good tropes. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So we start off all of our interviews with a series of questions. So we'll start with the first one, which is what is your favorite series? My favorite series, I had to think about this question for a long time. And I think my favorite series is the Off Campus series by L. Kennedy, which I don't even think is fair because it's a set of interconnected standalones. Yeah. Um, But I just love them. Garrett Graham is just an ideal book boyfriend and they, and Elle had me hooked from book one. So I really love that series. Yeah. That's a great choice. I definitely went into that one thinking, I know, I knew it was like friends to lovers, which is like my favorite trope. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to really, really like this. And they're not like friends beforehand. I think she did a really good job of like kind of making them that way. And I was like, okay, I'm into this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The only one I don't like is accidental, accidental pregnancy. So I didn't read that one, but I have read the rest of the series and they're all really, really good. (laughs) I, <laughs> so I skipped a rich, on my first read of, of this series, I did skip the last one, which I think is the goal um, yeah. because it has accidental pregnancy in it. And then I went over to the Briar U series and read all of those. And I was, then I was like, oh, I can't just skip a book. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't love it as much as the other ones, but it's still my favorite. They're still comfort reads. And, but I think I read the deal more than anything else. So yeah, great choice. I love that. Okay. So what is your favorite standalone? The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. Great choice, great I choice. Just, <laughs> it, it, it hits me in so many levels. Like I love, I love meta like tropes. Like when all, when all of us talking about like fake dating in a fake dating book, it's so funny to me. And I'm also a graduate student. And I think Allie Hazelwood coming from, you know, academia herself does such a great job of like really getting into the feels of what it's like to be a graduate student. And it's just banter is good. The comfort is good. It's relatable. So I love that book so much. That's a great choice. Yeah, we're big Alley fans here. So yeah, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) 
I like recently redid my bookshelves and I was like, okay, I think I am at the point where I have to like make an entire alley shelf because she's released so many books and I have like every single copy that you could ever have of them. So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, big fan. Love that. Awesome. So who is your ultimate book boyfriend? Yeah. So I cheated again and I split this into two Perfect. categories, which is contemporary and fantasy, because I feel like you can't compare those two genres as well as like other contemporary books to contemporary books. And so contemporary Garrett Graham, hands down, favorite series, favorite okay. person. But from Blood and Ash, Castile in the in specifically the first two books. Yeah, Castile Hawk, if you will. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love that. That's a great choice. I would say definitely for the first two books, Castile is a great book boyfriend. Husband, yes. if you will. <laughs> and that's totally yeah. fair. I feel like I have a really hard time too because I'm like, okay, who is my ultimate? So I pick like, a, mine is Jamie Frazier, which would be like fantasy and romance. So that, uh -huh. that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah, like a little that's, yeah, that's probably a good way to do it. But I just couldn't, I couldn't pick. But totally fair. I love that. So who's your ultimate book girlfriend? I picked, um, I did the same thing. I split them. In fantasy, it's Lysandra from the Throne of Glass series. Great choice. Queen of Shadows, which is like, I think her, you know, her big entrance is just what my favorite read from that series. And she just, I don't know, there's something about her that's kind of like a little salty, a little spicy. And like, she's just really fun to read, I think. And then from contemporary, it's actually Lana Myers from the Mindfuck series. Mm -hmm. I thought she's just, she's just so cool. She's so cool. And I don't know, I'd never read a series like that. And I'm a huge Criminal Minds fan, huge, like, I don't know, I love crime shows. So yeah. Lana was so fun to read. So yeah. I have not read that one. I need to read it, but I haven't read it yet. It's, it's really good. And it feels like it's it's kind of like, I don't know, produced sort of weird where you could buy one giant book and it has five of the smaller books. Yeah. But it made me feel very good about like my reading goals two years ago because it was like five books in one and they were all like 130 pages. So it was like, hey, five books on my list. That's great. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me go. I've accomplished so much. I love it. <laughs> yeah, that one's definitely on my list this year. I, I need to read it, but, but okay. It's good to know. It's good to know. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got started as an author, what that's been like? Yeah, yeah. My my path to being an author is not linear. I don't, I don't really think anyone's is that linear. But when I started my undergrad, I was a psychology major, but I was also double majoring in creative writing. And I thought that like I wanted to maybe write short stories on the side or something like that. And then I went to grad school and I had basically abandoned all aspects of writing in in my undergrad and after and in post back and all of those things. And then one day I'm, I'm sitting and I'm talking to who is now my editor in our office. And, and she is like, you know, what's your ideal job? And so I'm telling her about my ideal job and in academia, you can kind of go two ways. You can go into industry and, or like UX or consulting or things like that, or you can stay in academia and become like a professor or a lecturer or something like that. And, and I didn't, there are aspects of both of those things that I don't really like, but the things that I like doing are actually more suited to the job I had before graduate school, which is becoming a lab manager and really like taking on the administrative responsibilities of a lab while also helping people out with like designing projects and stuff like that. And that's really what I wanted to be doing. Um, but that's not, it's not feasible because of how bad the academic job market is. And so I was talking to Lauren about this and she was like, 
Yeah, that's probably true. You probably can't have that job, but you could write a book about someone who has that job. And wouldn't that be fun? And we were just like joking around. And then that joke became like, oh my God, could you imagine this scene in like a testing room? Like, wouldn't it be so cool to do this? And and so then I just started writing it because it was just so vivid in my mind. And so that's really how the first book started happening, where it was like, you know, sort of just jokes that left the group chat. And yeah, so that's how I got started. And then I just didn't stop. So then another thing that left the group chat was talking to Mina Miles about how what we were in our, you know, hockey romance era, we were reading, she was reading the the deal for the first time. And, and I had read a few like Avery Keelan books and, and I was really getting in, into it. And I was like, I just want a, a hockey romance where he's like a hockey captain and she just like is really into reading books and, and knows all of the tropes. And so she's like really helping her friends like set up meet cutes and like doing all those things and being really meta about it. And so that's how Troped became a thing. And and then we've just kind of like snowballed from there where like ideas are coming into my head and I, I'm writing them down on paper faster than I can have them. So, so yeah, so that's me. I love that. That's amazing. I always feel like I'm like, oh, one day I'll write a book. And then I'm like, no, I actually could never because I don't have an original thought. And I love <laughs> that you guys had a group chat full of original thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're original thoughts, right? Uh, there's this thing and at least in, you know, my other world of academia where it's like, nobody has original thoughts. There are just people who have thoughts and do something with them. Yeah. And so I think like right now we're in this like era of, you know, book talk or bookstagram where like people are putting out books and, and some people are upset because they feel like they're writing them to tropes. Like you only wrote that book because you wanted to put out a hockey romance. You only wrote that book because you want to do fake dating. And like, so also, so what? Like people (laughs) love fake dating. People love hockey romances. And I think if you can make strong characters, like, with good character development or good chemistry, then like, who cares if you wrote a particular trope just because somebody liked it? Or maybe you read those and you're like, yeah, this is what I want right now. So this is what I want to write. And it's just a byproduct of like, what is reading right now? And so I don't know, I feel like, yeah, anyway, I think no one has original thoughts. People just yeah. think. Yeah, I feel like it's so crazy how the industry has changed. I feel like even in the last year of being of marketing things with tropes and like out of context quotes and stuff. And it's like, it's so crazy to watch it change. And I agree. I think it's it's like exactly what you're saying where you're like, okay, I would really want to read a hockey romance where it's like this, you know, we love to break the fourth wall or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so you're like kind of coming up with that. And I, I think it's fun because you know what you're getting into when you're reading it. And it's only people that are like in the bookish interwebs that are that know these things because someone like going to Target isn't going to be like, oh, I know this is a fake dating book unless they read the back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, I think that being ingrained in the community, whether it be as a reader or an author, it's sort of like you're more conscious of those decisions. And and sometimes it makes it hard to write where it's like, I want to put in a scene because I think it's fun and cute and whatever, but I'm like, is someone going to read that and be like, you just did, like, you just wrote that scene to write that scene and it doesn't actually fit. And like, I don't know, maybe I did. Who cares? I like it. (laughs) Right. Right. Like it's, it feels like almost as if you have like judges before you even get to where you're going and they're like, oh, I know they did this to like check these boxes. So it's fair, but it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. I think for the general consumer, it doesn't affect people and it's, it's fun for us, you know, like as readers to see that kind of stuff and be like, oh my gosh, she wrote this because she knows that like, we know what a one bed trope is, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So what is, speaking of the bookish interwebs, what has your journey been like being an author in the age of the bookish interwebs, the book, tra- book talk and bookstagram communities and stuff like that? 
Yeah, for my first releases, I did a terrible job. I mean, my, I, I love those releases, but I had no idea what I was getting into. It was sort of like, you know, again, like jokes that left the group chat. And so we're like, we'll just put out a thing. Like, it seems okay. And then, you know, I joined Bookstagram around, like very close to when my my debut novel came out. And I, ha I was like, I don't know how to market a book. I don't even, I didn't realize that I needed to. And like all of these things, because even I was, I was reading a lot of books and I was on book talk and like scrolling on TikTok, but I had never really used Instagram as like a bookish platform. Mm -hmm. And that's changed significantly. And even the past six months for me, where like actually the strongest community I have for my books is on Instagram. And like, I've talked to a lot of authors on Instagram. I've talked to like people who are arc reading my books and it feels like such a really strong community that I wish that I did those things for the other two books and, and I didn't. And so, yeah, it's just been a really s steep learning curve. Yeah. And, I think, <laughs> and I think that even once you think you figured it out, whether that be like how to be like a good, like conversational partner on Instagram or just like trying to cater to the algorithm, like it's always changing and like, you know, like it's just, it's hard. It's hard to be in this era of technology, especially how it interfaces with like books, like growing up, books were just like paperbacks you picked up at Target or Barnes and Noble or Borders. And, mm -hmm. and then you went home and you read them. And then maybe you had a friend who was reading them with you, but reading was sort of a solitary thing. And so one plus for, for technology, at least in the book world is like, now you have access to a community who is reading the same books or the same tropes or the same authors as you. And I think that's really nice. But yeah, so there's a mix of things in there. Yeah, it's crazy to like think about too how much it's changed and like how powerful a tool like social media is for you guys as authors, because it's like it's not free necessarily because there's a lot of work that goes into it and like advertising and you know graphic development and all that. But it's like it's one of those things that is so powerful to use and it's like very much teachable. Like you can yeah. yourself learn how to do all the things you need to do. And you're right. It creates this really wild community. And like, I don't know. It's one of those things I'm like, I was in corporate America a year ago and now I like work for myself doing author stuff. So it's like, it's crazy how much can change and like how cool I think the, the bookish interwebs are. Yeah, I agree. I think they're super cool. I think it's exciting. Sometimes it makes it scary, right? Where like maybe a change happened and you just missed it. You missed that boat. And all of a sudden, like something is popular. You didn't think it was like, Cowboy romances, actually, like when Lila Sage came out with Done and Dusted all of a sudden and everyone was in their cowboy romance era, I was like, when did this happen? We were Ooh. talking about <laughs> NHL players five minutes ago. Right. And but I love it. I love the the introduction of new genres and I and I love that. But I always feel constantly behind in my TBR. So when things like that happen, I'm like, I'm I feel ancient. Like I feel yeah. <laughs> like, like I got a new update on my iOS phone and and I don't know what I'm doing. Agreed. It's like ever changing and it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Eastern Standard, which came out today. It's kind of a heart wrenching story. It's small town romance and all those things. But what inspired you to create the, you know, widower's best friend trope kind of situation here? And, you know, did anyone specifically inspire these amazing characters? Yeah, that's a great question. So the idea for this book came to me in. April of now last year in April 2023 um and I was on a trip to Idlewild California with with my husband and Idlewild is like a small town and we went when it was still kind of cold and and I was thinking about just like small towns in general and how 
move I've always lived in a like in a uh, metropolitan city like I'm from LA and then I moved to Boston and now I'm back in San Diego and so those aren't places where like you know your neighbors really well or you grow up with them or you know you went to school with them or things like that you move around a lot and I was thinking about how weird it must be to to go from one of those cities to a smaller town and like obviously this is not a new you know brand of 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 story and, and anyway there are hallmark movies dedicated to them there's like you know um, emily henry had book lovers and and so like this is not a new thing but i was thinking about how close-knit those places are and if it's anything like high school for example like a new kid comes in and like everyone's already sort of clicked off and and like all those things like how does that new person fit in and and are there cases in which that new person might never fit in and so i was trying to think about it from that perspective like small towns have this you know stereotype of being really nice and friendly and stuff like that and and Connor Bay in, in my book is very nice and friendly except to this one person and so why wouldn't they be nice to this one person and then that was making me think a lot about Gilmore Girls which is one of my all-time favorite shows ever and Lorelai kind of does that in that show where she moves from Hartford which is not a huge town but she comes from a background that is different from the town that she moves into and they were accepting of her but what if they weren't and so I was thinking a lot about Gilmore Girls and Schitt's Creek and all of those things. And Schitt's Creek is a great example of moving somewhere where you most definitely fit in or you don't fit in. And so, yeah, so that's where that inspiration came from. Why I chose to make it so sad, I think, was just a byproduct of how I was feeling in that time. In in my in my other life, my academic life, I was in my third year of grad school and everyone tells you well, if you're in grad school, everyone tells you that your third year is your hardest because you're not anywhere near the beginning and you're not anywhere near the end. And so I was feeling a little lost and confused and not sure of myself. And, and so I think that that's what drove a lot of the like, you know, inner reflections Olivia has in this book where it's sort of like, do I belong here? Do I fit in? And like, why does it feel like everyone is so against me all the time, even though they're not? Um, in Olivia's case, they are, but but in my life, they're not, but it feels that way. And so like, you know, when you tell people in real life, like I'm messing up, like your friends are going to tell you you're not. And so I, writing Eastern Standard was, was this outlet where like, no one's telling her that she's not messing up. Everyone's telling her that she is in fact. And so, yeah, there were a lot of pieces that went into writing live. And yeah, so that, that's how Eastern Standard got made. I love that. It's probably really cathartic to kind of get it all on a paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, but I, I really loved, you know, like I, I'm, I would say like dip my toe in the small town romance. Like I definitely love it, but I'm not an expert in it in any way. And I like that you kind of made this town where it's like it could be anywhere and it also is very specific to this place all at the same time and like you said you're kind of adding these elements where it's like she's she's like wait am I wrong or are they wrong is this a small town thing or is this like you know a me thing and mm -hmm. I think that really helped you kind of as the reader feel the love for Liv and like want the best for her and you know I like I liked her journey sequence so I thought you did a really great job with that. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel like like one thing, one stereotype of New York, at least, is like if you make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. So it really felt like so powerful to me that like yeah. Liv was making it in New York. She was doing, you know, the whole thing. And she had she had her best friend, Eric, and she got married pretty quickly. And like she was doing good at her job. And then she got thrown into this small town, which is like the standard there. So different than in New York. And so it's not the case where if you make it in this huge city, you can make it anywhere. In fact, there are places of different cultures that you don't know about or different rules or expectations. And, and so, 
that was an interesting thing to read. Yeah, definitely. Where did you get the idea for like her, you know, kind of getting into this Dharma and Greg style relationship and then, you know, him passing away and then falling for the best friend? Where where did that idea come from? Yeah, I think, I don't, I don't know if this is surprising to anyone, but her husband in my head was, had passed away the moment I thought of this book. Like okay. um, after I had realized that we need, I needed some reason for them not to, not to want to accept her. I was, what would make someone need to move to a small town when you live in New York? And it's sort of like, what are you looking for in a small town? And maybe that's connection. Maybe that's closure. Maybe you're like sick of the city. But Olivia to me didn't seem like she was sick of the city. It seemed like something had to have happened that would mm-hmm. bring her to a town. And and sometimes, and if you're looking for connection, then what connection is she missing in, in New York? And so then I was like, well, she could have lost somebody. And, and so, and who would that somebody be? And, and so, so her husband's character didn't really get that. I mean, he got pretty developed in the book. Like he has some, you know, person, you can attribute personality traits to him, but like, as I'm writing this, it was never going to be that he lived in this book. It was always going to be live and wit. And first for a brief microsecond, it was like, okay, well, what's some, who's someone in town that like, could be close could could have been close to him that knows that you know Liv isn't the antagonist in the story she's not this villain mm-hmm. um and and it was between brother or best friend and brother felt too close brother yeah, yeah. <laughs> felt like I don't know if I could write that I don't know if I'd want to read that like I that yeah. feels like not what I want to do and so best friend who also like isn't ingrained in the town for a little while felt the best felt like I don't know, the best story I could tell in, in that case. Yeah, I loved that. I was very surprised going into it. I was like, okay, I know the tropes. I know what this is about. And I'm like, how is this going to be done? And I loved <laughs> it. And I was very shocked that I was like, oh, am I attracted to this? <laughs> so yeah, I was really curious what gave you that idea because I was I was shocked at the way you went about it. Like not, as I was reading the description, I was like, how is this going to play out? And then as I was reading it, I was like, oh, I like this. <laughs> Yeah, I was really worried about this release, actually, it it being so, I mean, I read a lot of very fluffy contemporary romances, and now I'm trying to mark and like, that's sort of like my community on on, you know, my social media accounts is like, hockey romances, or fake dating, or Morgan Elizabeth stuff, like, I love all of those things so much. So how am I going to market this book about this woman who loses her husband, very sad and gets with his best friend? That seems uh, like a hard sell but I knew that once people picked it up and started reading it that they would like it and so what things can I do to, to sort of inspire them to at least give it a chance and and that inspired my reason to work with Shay and Lindsay at, at Good Girls PR because I was like I have no idea how to market this if I was writing any other book I, I, I think I could I could do it justice but like working with them and like really working out that plan to release that book and do a bunch of ARC readers in the beginning and, and like scaffold the release like that was probably one of my best decisions I could have made. I love that. It's always great to hear. Big fans of them over here. So (laughs) I love it. So was there a part of this book that you struggled to kind of put together or any scenes specifically kind of vaguely spoiler free, if you will? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of it was a struggle in a, in a way that you might not think, or maybe it's exactly what you think, which is like, I was so scared of making wit not likable 
Like in what world is it ever okay to have these feelings about your best friend's wife? And then once he passes away, like what's going to make it okay for them to be together? And I think that there's probably still, you know, readers who will read it and be like, nope, this is never going to be okay for me. And I think that's fine. But I was really trying to give, not looking for like an excuse to make it okay, but like really trying to give with the appropriate amount of personality and character development to make it really feel like he does not mean this with malicious intent. He didn't like, he obviously did not try to break them up. They got married and like, he didn't really see, see live when they were married and, and all those things. But now that he has this shot with her, like, does he take it? Does he not? And, and I think that at some point in the, in this book, he, he decides, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for it because neither of us are, are that happy anyway. So like, who cares? And I think he, compares himself a lot to Olivia's husband so he's just trying to break that mold a little bit and maybe being with Olivia feeds into that more which is something that he grapples with throughout but um right trying to write wit in a way that people fall in love with was really difficult for me not because I wasn't in love with wit I was very much in love with wit while I was writing him but just because that relationship felt very tenuous totally fair I feel like it's a very fine line to walk and making sure you do it right is probably really stressful. <laughs> Yeah. yeah I love that so is there a part that came pretty easy to you or like a storyline that came pretty easy yeah I mean writing writing banter in general I feel like comes pretty easy to me especially when the characters have good chemistry and I think with and lives banter or you know writing Eric and live banter best friend banter is so fun to write I yeah. think the scene that was e- the easiest one for me to write that probably got written in just a few minutes is I'm going to try to make this spoiler free o- Olivia is talking to Eric on FaceTime Hmm. about something that had happened while he was away and she says something and he drops his phone on FaceTime he is so (laughs) shocked by this by this revelation and and he picks it up and he's like what did you just say to me and like are you saying this thing and she goes no like I'm saying I'm saying this thing and and whatever and then he drops his phone again because she says something else and I'm like this has happened to me on a FaceTime call where I've said something and someone like just like throws their phone and like a way where it's like I can see this happening on on a phone call with friends and you're like kind of you're like why didn't you tell me this in person like I need I have so many questions for you (laughs) and now I'm gonna have to ask you these things over FaceTime and I don't know how to react I'm not processing emotions well and so that's one of my favorite scenes to write because I can picture it so so vividly and it just like I don't know came to me really easily I love that yeah that's a very genuine like friend reaction as well so I agree that was a really fun scene to read Eric is a great character. I love it. So is there, who's your kind of favorite character you've written across all of your books? Oh, that's a really hard question. Um, I think that it might be wit. It might be wit because he was such a challenge to write, Mm -hmm. but I, I loved, I love him. Like, I just love the way he turned out. I think that everyone's going to love him. Yeah, I think that. I'd like to <laughs> we have to believe that. <laughs> I have to believe that. He's yeah, he's funny, he's smart, he's understanding, he just, you know, the only the only red flag I see in him is that he likes to read really old true crime novels and dog ear the pages while he does it. And honestly, that's fine. We love a man we can fix, you know, that that's the fixable. Flag. <laughs> it's a beige flag, if you will. <laughs> We'll just give him some bookmarks, maybe. Maybe that's, that's right. Okay. Exactly. You can you can break that habit. You can break <laughs> it. Um, was there a character that you struggled to write? My 
very, in my debut novel, I write my female main, main character is Harper Sinclair and she is just me in book form. Like, okay. and it was really vulnerable to write her. And sometimes I'd have, I've talked about this before somewhere where I've said like I had to write that book in third person because writing it in first person felt so real mm -hmm. that I knew that if I kept writing it in first person I would not finish it yeah so she was the hardest to write because you want to like it's hard to I don't think I intended to write myself as Harper Sinclair but I'm writing it and I'm like putting in like lots of my own thoughts about Acad like academia and how it works and like lots of the things that have happened to me in academia and it's just like oh well this is just me on a piece of paper and that's sort of strange and <laughs> and then I felt myself like really reflecting on it like oh do I actually think that yes I actually think that that's what I wrote or like is that how I think that other people see me like in in the world of academia and like all these things so it took a lot of like inner reflection and and that was that was really hard to read. I like that. It's probably like, yeah, it's like writing your journal and you're like, this is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is this me or is everyone going to read this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would have a really hard time like creating a character that wasn't me. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely see where you struggled there. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like some people, some people don't like Harper. At least that's, you know, people like developing feelings, but they describe Harper and in, in the same way that some that you know Olive in the Love Hypothesis describes Adam Carlson which is unapproachable and antagonistic and mm -hmm. I'm like oh yeah I guess I'm kind of unapproachable and antagonistic <laughs> you're like whoop there it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my husband when he read Developing Feelings for the first time was like oh I don't really like Harper and I was like oh, very that's, a, that's a bigger <laughs> conversation and he's like no you're not like this and I was like then I think it's just how I perceive myself because this is just all of my feelings all at one time and he was like okay we're just gonna table this conversation <laughs> he loves Jonathan and he loves developing feelings he's like Harper's just like I don't know she's too aggressive like not Harper is not passive aggressive she's more borderline aggressive um about things yeah. at least in academia and so that was that was a fun conversation to have but, um quickly if you will <laughs> yes but that's okay that's okay that's okay you like her and that's all that matters <laughs> <laughs> yes I love it so we talked a little bit earlier about tropes and kind of putting them in to books and things like that and you writing scenes you know because you wanted to was there a trope list you had in mind going into eastern standard or were you like as you were writing this, okay, now I know what my tropes are. What, what, how did that kind of come about? Yeah, I mean, some of those tropes are just already built into the plot, right? Small town romance. He falls first. Felt like the only way I could, I could, kind of circumvent any like, what just wants his dead best friend's wife, and and so that was sort of just ingrained in that. But then there were other tropes that people pointed out to me later, like after I got some ARC readers that I didn't realize that I had written, like found family. I was like, is this a found family? I guess so. I don't know. And then so, and then there's like mixed reviews, right? Like I didn't go, I didn't intend to write a slow burn romance, but lots of people say it's a slow burn romance. And then there are other people who are like, it's such a quick read. And I didn't realize I could write a slow burn romance in a book that's less than like two than 300 pages, but I, I, some people think I did. And, and so I think tropes are, are hard in that way where like, even if I set out to, to write a trope, I don't know if I, you know, actually achieved it, but I think the big ones are just, you know, ingrained in the plot. 
Yeah, totally fair. I love that. It's kind of fun too, like when you get done to be like, all right, which ones did I make versus like, all right, I want to do this, 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 and that. And like try to make that fit the mold. Like I definitely think there's that's a good way to do your outlining and structuring. But if you don't do it and then you discover them afterwards, it's like, ooh, this is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. I think I was talking to or uh, Lindsay from Good Girls PR had had made my social pool and she had, you know, broken things up for me and, and was like, oh, here's one of the tropes that you could talk about while you're marketing. And and it was forced proximity. And I was like, are all small town romances forced proximity? And then and then I was like, maybe it's forced proximity because they end up being neighbors. But like, did I for did I and I just went down this like wheel of like what is forced proximity and like what is small town romance and and all these things. So trips are so strange. Yeah. And like some of them are very specific too. And you're like, how specific can I get that I'm like, yeah, all 19 of these things are included. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then you get into and those aren't even like micro tropes, right? Those can yeah. even those 19 can be like really broad you know, like, um, I, like, I thought I could just say small town romance, but then there's small town romance, sub city girl, small town boy, right. Sub, small town boy, doctor, sub. I'm like, right. Right. So many here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like late husband's best friend, right. Mother-in-law hates her. Like all those things. <laughs> it's like so many. Yeah. Yeah. I like family it. drama, family drama between in-laws, like so yep. many. So many, so many. And that's why we love them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's something for everyone, right? Like you can get really niche and, and, you know, and when, right, this is, I guess this is one of my favorite things, which is like, when you get so niche, you really want a particular book, then that's your book that you write, right? Where it's like, you write the thing that you want to see. And so like, when you can't find one that's hitting just, just right, like you just, you write it. You have to write it yourself. Yeah. So what, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but what is your like ultra niche trope? Like your favorite ultra niche trope? Yeah, this is um, my, I guess if we think about that, when it's like a, a micro trope, it would be the like, I've read everything you've written trope, mm. which is like their academic rivals. It, either they, I really like it when they're academic rivals in college and they rekindle like later on and like yeah. very very much treat actually treat is my niche trope okay, okay. Um, where it's like you know like we didn't get along in college but actually I've been like I've read literally everything you've ever written in college after you graduated and I've you know weirdly been following you around I suppose this is the only way you might end up together but yeah that's probably my favorite niche trope I love that that's a great one it's very yeah it's like I've been silently stalking you for years <laughs> yeah yeah it's a good one Okay, so there's quite a few Taylor Swift-style Easter eggs in here. What made you decide to add those in there? And, like, how was that? Did you feel like you struggled at all to kind of make them subtle or not subtle? What was that like? Yeah, I think that maybe this actually answers a, your previous question about tropes, which is, like, what tropes did you go in thinking you were going to write? Taylor Swift is never an intention of mine. It just mm -hmm. is what happens to me, where I'm writing a scene and I'm like, oh she like there's this line in like ivy or evermore where i'm like it fits so nicely in here and so then i then i use those things and i make those types of references and it's just like she lives rent free in my head so at any given time you could get a taylor swift reference from me whether Love or not it. i intended to or not and so in that way it wasn't that hard to include you know taylor swift in here and i think dedicate so my dedication is to lover and evermore girlies this one's for you 
And that came later. That came after I wrote this book. And, and I was like, this feels like a book that is for people who love love, but are scared of the idea that it could one day not exist. Mm-hmm. And and that to me is lover and that to me is evermore. And so those things came came a little bit later. But for the smaller things, like like I've never heard silence quite this loud in one of the chapters and like I'm keeping you like an oath. Like those things just came during while I was writing that scene. It was like those lines came to me. And then I was like, I don't know if the song fits here, but the line really holds. Yeah. That like cuts really deep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's totally valid. I love that. I was like, this is very good. You know, Morgan does them as well. Like Morgan is definitely, (laughs) you know, a Taylor Swift author. And I like when it's like, when you know, you know, and you get those things in there. And it's like for people who are the fans. And if you're not, then you, you don't have to know and it's okay because you still get it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like there's this one line in the beginning where I say loving him was lo- like loving him left an irreplaceable handprint on my soul. Mm-hmm. And that's a Taylor Swift reference. But I feel like even if you didn't know that was a Taylor Swift reference, it's like a, a quote or a line that might stick out to you is like, that's a really like hurts you to read. Yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. Totally valid. I love it. So my ultimate question for you is what is your favorite Taylor Swift album? Mm-hmm. I'm a reputation stan. Oh, I live okay. read that album. I'm, I don't know if you're into astrology, but I'm a double Aries Scorpio rising, which is just like nice. really aggressive, but really yeah. sensitive and when you get to that Scorpio and that's reputation, mm-hmm. I think to me in an album where it's like, you know, people think that that's her really edgy album, but I think it's one of her softest albums, like really hard exterior, really like, I'm so in love that nothing else matters. And like, I'm so lucky and grateful to be in this relationship and have people who love me. And then there are people who don't, and that's fine because it doesn't actually matter. And that to me is reputation and I love it so much. Wow. I, I've been like a Swifty since she started and I've never looked at it that way. Like <laughs> reputation is probably my least favorite if we're being honest. Uh-huh. It's just, it was like one of those ones, like when it came out, I think I was the ones that became popular on that album. I started to like resent a little bit like delicate. Mm-hmm. like not, I'm like, this is not what like should have been the best song on this album. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like, and they got so overplayed because we hadn't heard her in so long. So reputation is like my least favorite, but I do. I love that. That is yeah, that's a great way to yeah, look at it. Yeah, I, th- I think when it first came out, I didn't think it was going to be my fr- my favorite album. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, obviously we did, we weren't graced with, you know, Lover or Evermore yeah. or Midnight's or whatever. But I was listening to it and I was like, yeah, she's just really angry. Like, that's all this album is. Yeah, like, yeah. That's totally <laughs> fine. And then I'm listening to it and I'm like, oh, that's a bop. That's a line. That's a bar. Like, she is like, Call It What You Want is my favorite Taylor mm-hmm. song. So much so that... For one birthday my husband got me the like little locket like the initial with um yeah next, yeah whatever the the initial on it and I love it so much and it just feels like so vulnerable in a way that continues on on to lover where it's like okay I'm in this relationship now and and now I'm really afraid of it ending mm-hmm. and so I feel like those two albums are often people's least favorite albums but I feel like together they tell a very beautiful story of a relationship. Yeah, I th- I like that. That's great. So what your favorite song is Call It What You Want? Yeah. 
Okay. Great choice. Great choice. <laughs> <laughs> What's yours? I'm curious now. Reputation's your least favorite. So my favorite album, honestly, and this is so like cliche, I feel like is Midnight's. Uh, I am, I'm a double Virgo Pisces rising. So I have like a lot of angst mm -hmm. just like muddling around in here. And when that one came out, I was like, wow, this is a game changer. But if I was going to pick one before that, it's definitely Red, the like new version. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know. I just think that her like... When I was like in that era also was when all those extra songs were coming out and my favorite song is Lucky One. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, it was like when all those things that like weren't on other albums and like now we were like, we're really in like the Taylor Swift like Easter egg era. And you know, it was like, you could only listen to this on like a YouTube clip art, yeah. like horror, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's mine. <laughs> yeah, no, I think Midnight's is so fair. I'd say Midnight's is my second favorite actually yeah. out of all of them. And the Great War, I feel like, should have been on, like, the bass track listing and not 3 a.m. edition. I love that. I Absolutely. love The Great War. I love Would Have, Could Have, Should Have. I thought that mm -hmm. song was so raw and it hurt so much. Yeah. Um, there are just so many, so many good, good yeah, bangers on Midnight. So, yeah, that was a good one. I was, like, shocked. or shook it when I came out. I was like, yep, this will do. <laughs> it's so different. That sound is so different than things that she's put out before, I feel like. And may maybe it's not if you listen to her whole discography, but, like, yeah, it just felt like a different kind of vibe from her. Like, more, more mature. Like, mm -hmm. more, like, I'm comfortable in, like, where I'm at in my life. And so now I'm going to play around with, like, you know, Jack Antonoff and his synth and like do whatever I want. And yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. I remember when that one came out, I was like, well, at the time, you know, she was still with Joe and yeah. this is like so off track, but I just remember when the album came out and then you, we were talking about this a, a little while ago in DMs, but you and I both went to like the opening night or like the opening weekend for Taylor Swift and for the Eras tour. And I remember like being at the tour and like looking up and, you know, we were on midnights and I was like, man, this album's so good. And like, she's so happy and she's doing the thing and like, she's with Joe and like, it's so great. And then like weeks later, <laughs> it was like, they've been broken up for months, but like, it was just so cool to like watch that for her and like see how much you could just tell that she was like so in love with everything that she had created and I was yeah. like man that's that's the vibe yeah yeah I feel like obviously we we don't know about the Joe Taylor timeline at least to some any credit any credible extent but I heard yeah. Midnight's and I was like did they break up yeah like, yeah did the, is this done and then like you know no I guess like I don't I don't know if I have any actual proof of that I'm not sure if I saw a picture of them together or something but I was like this sounds like things are not going well, but she yeah. sounds like very like comfortable with where she is in, in life. So like, it doesn't really matter. So yeah, it was a strange time to be a Swifty. I think. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm so happy for her. Like she's getting all the things she wants. She's like doing her best. And then it was like weeks later, it was like, they broke up and I was like, don't care. She's still doing her best. Yeah, her right. <laughs> I was like, so what? Like, okay, bye Joe. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Like that's a, like almost a six year relationship. Like that, that's probably really hard, but also like, She's Taylor Swift. Like, it will be fine. I've never watched a single Joe Alwyn TV show or movie. Right, right. Or like, like literally that. never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love that. So my next question for you is what kind of drew you to the romance genre in the first place? Like, I know you said you read a little bit of fantasy, you read a lot of romance, all that stuff. But was it your love of romance? What kind of drew you to writing that in the first place? Yeah, I, I actually couldn't tell you the last time I read a book without romance in it, including when I started reading in like middle school, like in middle school, the first, which is the first time I really picked up reading, reading, reading. 
And it started with a series that I've never really met anyone who's read before other than my friends at that time, which is the private series by Kate Bryan. And this is a series about a girl, Reed Brennan, who moves to a boarding school in New England because she got a scholarship and the boarding school in New England has like a bunch of rich kids or whatever. And she meets this boy, Thomas Pearson, and then Thomas mysteriously goes missing like two thirds of the way through the book and he was her love interest and then like all these things and so now it's this like mystery series and there's like I don't know like 15 books it's like the click series and but like throughout all those books she has some sort of relationship and like her friends are all in relationships and that was the most interesting thing to me is like navigating those relational dynamics and then like you know her her boyfriend going missing and like being you know fish out of water and things like that and then around that time was like the twilight fan craze Mm -hmm. like it was probably like a year before the first twilight movie came out that i binged all of those books and and so which is you know venturing into slight fantasy i suppose if there are vampires is it fantasy i guess so but but again like i don't think i've picked up a a non-romance book for for fun before in in my life probably Totally valid. I We really like having this debate ages ago, talking about how like every book has romance in it. <laughs> like even thrillers have romance in that. You know what yeah. I mean? There's never a book that you read. Like other than nonfiction, I would love someone to show me a book that doesn't have any level of fan, uh, like any level of romance in it. I will read it, but I find it, it's really hard. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like an easy thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, my best friend Lauren, she loves thrillers. They're her favorite mm-hmm. genre, even before romance. And, and she was trying to recommend me some books. And I was like, I don't, I don't really read books without romance in them. And she's like, these have romance in them. And I was like, you're lying to me. I've spent my whole life thinking these books have no romance in them. And then, you know, Geneva Rose does like really good side relationships or, or things like that. And and Sherry Lapina um, does such great side romance also. And, and so it was like, huh. These are these are here. Now I have a new genre to explore. Yeah. So so yeah, I, I think that's right. There's um definitely some romance in, in most books, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I like went through this debate and it's it's very hard to find. Would you ever consider kind of branching out into like a subgenre of romance, like romance or thriller romance? <laughs> yeah, actually, this is I I don't know. I think you're you might ask me about this later, but um, just to spoil it a little bit, I'm working on something that dives more into the fantasy world of things. I'm looking at a fall release for that, and it's going to be a sort of spooky, witchy, cozy fantasy nice. about these two sisters who live in a small town, a different small town, um, where people in that town are going missing and they have to bring an outside detective to figure out what it is. And, and what's causing it. And the town thinks it's them, the, the two sisters who may or may not be witches to them. And the detective is sort of like, no, I don't really think it's them. I think it's something else. But also like there's romance between one of the sisters and the detective. So yeah, I'm excited for that book. I'm excited to venture into the realm of slight, slight fantasy. It's more contemporary fantasy, I think. Romanticy, mm-hmm. I guess, is, is what it falls under technically. But but yeah, it's been really fun to to dive into like more, I don't know how to describe this, but like a different style of writing than I'm used to. Like Romanticy seems like a lot more detail driven, a lot more background, a lot more 
plot driven than just the characters and like and like their development which is more what I'm used to yeah definitely it's a lot of like describing what's going on around you than like yeah. what the characters are thinking <laughs> yeah or like why those things happen like ma- I'm so scared of writing a magic system that I barely understand where yeah. I'm like, this work I don't know just go with it vibes I'm not sure totally uh, like the x-hex kind of thing <laughs> yeah yeah exactly actually yeah. that's a great example yeah it doesn't have to make sense it just it's we're here for vibes <laughs> <laughs> I love that that sounds so fun are you working on any other projects yes there is one that will come out June 1st and it is called Model Behavior. And I haven't talked about this on social media yet. So congratulations, Bookish Panther Podcast. We <laughs> can debrief on this. And it is a hockey player model fake dating romance. It's a PR relationship. And so it's a very, I think that this is probably going to be a, a slow burny type type romance where they, they really aren't like, it's not like, oh, like we like each other a lot in the beginning. Now we're going to do this fake dating thing. And then it's going to like happen really suddenly. It's really just like, yeah, you're, you're fine. You're cool to work with. Like our, our team thinks that we should fake date for publicity and I'm not doing anything right now. So sure. Sounds good to me. And so I think that it will be fun to write. I think that I wanted to write something fluffy after Eastern Standard. Eastern Standard was so heavy and mm-hmm. complex and and the characters were just like really in their reflective thoughts. And, and it's not that you won't get that from model behavior also, but I think that it will be more of the like, I don't know, this is a co- like a fluffy read that I that I want to experience on like a Saturday and I don't have anything to do. And, and so I'm excited for, for that to come out. That's awesome. That sounds so fun. I love that. We love a good fake dating. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Big fans. That's perfect. <laughs> Do you have any advice for any aspiring authors? Yeah, probably probably two pieces of my biggest advice are like, write what you want to write and write it the way that you want to write it. Some people will will tell authors to like, you know, not edit as they're writing their first draft or, you know, you should write things in chronological order or you should never write without an outline. Like, sometimes scenes just come to you and they're like, you know, really vivid and you just have to write them down anywhere you can. And that's writing. And I don't think anyone should tell anyone that it's not. And then the other thing is like, once you decide that you want your book to be a book book to set a release date and work backwards from that, lots of people are like, you know, I'll publish it when I'm done with my draft. And if you're anything like me, that could be a long time. That could be years that could be months that could be weeks and so setting a release date for me is often one of the first things that I do once I have a few chapters like stocked up and I know that it's gonna you know be finished um just because that helps me like motivate I have pretty bad ADHD actually and one of my characters model behavior will will have has ADHD and and he goes into that a lot in in his inner monologues but he but he and I both do this thing where we're we're constantly thinking about the end goal and then planning backwards because that helps keep schedules and it helps helps like just sort through your thoughts and like really give you like a strategy for for everything and so I think writing what you want when you want how you want it and once you know that your book is going to be a book, think about the end and work backwards because you can, you know, release dates are really flexible if you haven't talked about them before or you haven't said it anywhere. And so like, 
if you work backwards and you realize actually I need a few more months to work on this draft, you can always push your release date and, and it is less stressful that way. Um, so yeah, those are my two pieces of advice. That is really great advice. I've never heard that. And I really like that idea of you because I'm the same way. Like if I don't set a date, I'm like, I'll do this whenever. And it'll just be on my to-do list for the next six years. But like, if you say, okay, I'm doing it this day. And then you have to do everything in between. Like that really puts not necessarily pressure either. It's just like you're, and you can change it, but it's like, yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to give yourself that moment to be like, all right, this has to happen. You know? Yeah, I feel, yeah, it's something that I do in my, like, daily life also, like, it doesn't really matter when I'm doing it, but I know it has to be done by this day, like, this is my hard deadline, Yeah. and if you treat it that way, like, I find myself being motivated to write and do those things more often, I don't, I don't know if it's a thing that people with ADHD do, like, I've been seeing, I've been on ADHD TikTok a lot recently, I don't say, I think it just ends up on my TikTok, but a lot of, oh, I just saw a TikTok from Geneva Rose, actually, this is what made me think of it, where she has to sign a bunch of copies of her book, and Mm -hmm. she, there's this, like, I don't know, 5,000 or something, and so she was like, this is how I'm gonna do it, and she sets a timer for, like, 20 seconds, and she's like, we're gonna see how many I can sign in 20 seconds, and I was like, this is what I do where I'm like, where's the Pomodoro method? Where's like, where's all of these, like, yeah. how quickly can I get something done while something's in the microwave? Like, you know, giving me a, a time limit on something makes me work faster. I don't know if it makes it better, but it makes me like get it done and, and you know, everything can be fixed in editing. So, um, <laughs> so I love that. I'm like a firm believer in like, if it wasn't for the last minute, nothing would get done, you know, like that's the vibe right. I live by. Yeah. Right. And so if you get, if you get to be the one to dictate that last minute, then like, I feel like it just, you know, has helpful. Yeah, that's really, yeah. It's very powerful for sure. <laughs> so what has been your favorite part of the writing process, being an author, all that kind of stuff? Other than the, my, my favorite part is like when an idea just comes to me randomly and I'm like, could this be a thing? And then like you write the first scene that, that pops in your head. So that's one of my favorite things. And then the other one is the first time someone tells you they're really excited about your book and like, not, not some, not like my husband or, yeah, or yeah. <laughs> but like right. someone who's, who like sees it on like Instagram or TikTok and is like, oh my God, I need it right now. And like, that just gives me the biggest ha- rush of dopamine that I've ever had in my life. And then it's so fun. So yeah, those are probably my two, two favorite things and just like the, the journey. Yeah. Those are fun. Those are great choices. I love that. <laughs> so my last question I have for you is where can everybody find you on the bookish interwebs? Um, on Instagram, I am at Sierra Spencer books and on TikTok, I am at literarily Sierra. And so those are my two things. I have a website, sierraspencer.com. You can buy copies of my book that are signed. You can buy ebook versions of them. Um, yeah, those are, those are the places that I hang out. I love that. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and hanging out with me. I had a great time chatting and happy publishing day. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you guys for tuning into this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you aren't following us, go ahead and follow us on TikTok and Instagram at the Bookish Banter Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And thank you guys again for all of your support. Have a great day.